There's something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Extra. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to this edition of TGP Nominal Extra. And as you know, it's the beginning of the month, which can only mean one thing, looking up at the skies. And I have our usual resident astronomer on the show, Ross Hockham, to tell us what is going on out there for May. How are you doing, sir? Very well, very well as always. Yourself? Yeah, doing good. You've been looking up much? When I was back home, uh, my dad has got a pair of binoculars, which are not fantastic to be honest but i did have a little look up there i did see orion's belt and stuff like that i just went for the the basic stuff with these particular binoculars i knew i wasn't going to see anything uh amazing because they're not that strong but yeah it was pretty cool yeah actually. i always i always say normal binoculars why not have a go mm-hmm. especially around orion around the the orion you know the constellation orion there's loads of stuff up there you see if you just go from star to star oh there's even like the top star has a little almost like mini Orion belt if you look at it yeah. where his head would be sort of thing so yeah there's loads of I mean you can see the Orion Nebula as well if you've got you know if it's not too light polluted even in London I've managed to see it with binoculars you can't see much obviously but there is that wisp there so like you can still see a nebula with binoculars the hardest thing is like knowing where to look isn't it that is it but there are quite a few apps out there that you can find that uh, point you in the right kind of direction I was hoping to see something of that little meteor shower but uh, um, nah. <laughs> well, mostly it's been cloudy for me. It's, the weather seems to have changed, and I'm going to have to say it's my fault as well, because at work I was talked into doing a barbecue for all the guys and girls for our lunch or dinner. So I did a barbecue, and literally, as soon as the barbecue kind of started, the clouds came in, and now it's been cold ever since. <laughs> so you, usually it's when you buy new bits of equipment for astronomy the clouds come in but this time it's completely my fault because I had the first barbecue so yeah you've only got me to blame so we're going to come back after this break and Ross is going to go into what's happening for the rest of the month with paint in the artist's school. It is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. Talk about meteor showers. There is another one this month, and that's nicely led on because it is top of my list. So, <laughs> the, the beginning of the month, funnily enough, there is the uh, Eta Aquarid meteor shower, which is in Aquarius. It peaks at the beginning of the month, so kind of like just as this podcast goes out, hopefully that will be its peak. 
and then it'll carry on you know it kind of like slowly fizzles out but at the beginning of the month why not have a look up there the moon's out of the way which always makes it good because it means you can see more it doesn't get washed out this is one we've spoken about before they originate from the tail of the famous comet halley it's said to produce around about 15 to 20 per hour so it's not massive but there's still quite a few there to have a look at and you might see them because we're going through the tail of a comet, they can never really predict how thick the dust trail, should I say, is. So it has peaked before at around 40 or 60. They just go on like an average throughout all the years of people predicting and actually saying how many they've seen. So Halley's Comet last wowed astronomers in 1986, but it's not going to be back till 2061. I hope I live to be an old man, because <laughs> I would love to see that. But the last time it came in 1986, I was only four years old, so I can't actually remember seeing it. The pictures I've seen of it, it was amazing in the sky, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh man, I've never seen anything like that. I've seen comets and stuff before. I've seen slight, you know, trails and things. And the hail bop I remember as a kid, and that looked quite cool. I remember sort of seeing that sort of blue trail going across the sky, but it's quite small. But that was by eye. Something needs to come back for me before <laughs> I go. I need to see one. But at least I will get to see some pieces of it burning up in our atmosphere because that's what the shooting stars are so we get to see that hopefully and the best time to see it is uh, the pre-dawn eastern sky because they radiate from the constellation Aquarius it doesn't really give you much time to spot one because by the time kind of Aquarius comes up the sun's then wanting to come up as well so you've got a small period to have a look I do actually remember I think when I first ever started astronomy there was one that was happening in the morning and I think it's this one because I actually went up to Ivanhoe Beacon and I remember climbing up the hill there and watching the sun rise there looking for comets because I didn't know what I was doing now i realize it was probably too bright <laughs> i should have got out there a lot earlier yeah. but again i didn't see any but hopefully they're meant to be really good because although you've not got much time to spot them because of it there's only like an hour's window or maybe two they often leave really lingering trails in their wake because they are in the morning on that side the earth is actually moving into them by the looks of it so they they will hit slightly kind of like faster and burn right across the sky so i might have to get up and have a peek at that in the mornings you never know so yeah that was nicely led on wasn't it <laughs> you don't often get segues <laughs> that work like that no i'm quite proud of that i think that's how we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go for that that's the future goals yeah so there's a, an awesome meteor shower hopefully early mornings it is better in the southern sky from what i've heard but this is a UK astronomy, so I have to talk about the UK as always. On the 7th of the month, Mars, uh, it's now moved through Taurus the Bull, as we spoke about last month, and it's now positioned right up by the bull's sort of horns, almost in between them. And there's going to be a lovely crescent moon not far from it on the 7th, so it's a really nice time to spot it. Probably going to be the last month you're going to be able to spot it, because it's just as the sun sets. Look for the crescent moon and then Mars will be just above it, but it's going to drop below the horizon soon after. So this is probably your last chance as we swing around the other side of the sun until we then come back around. But then we'll be getting closer and closer and closer, so it will look better. On the 9th, around 10 o'clock, the moon's then going to move through Taurus. So if you've got some good eyes or a pair of binoculars, Mark, yeah, <laughs> you'll be able to actually look at the moon and some of the stars are actually going to gradually disappear behind the crescent moon. So if, I believe it's on the dark side, so they will seem to just disappear. So you can actually watch at about 9 p.m. The brightest of the stars will just slip behind it, followed by a few more afterwards. And it just shows you that you're actually seeing the moon visibly moving across the sky as it goes around the Earth. So that's quite a cool thing to have a look at. And anyone can see that. You can see it with the naked eye, you can see it with binoculars. If you've got a telescope, you can look you know, closer in and actually see the star. You see the edge of the moon as it disappears. So yeah, the ninth would be cool. Why not have a look? 
So on the 11th, there's a lot of minor planets and things going on. Most of this is probably going to be telescope stuff. You may be able to see it with binoculars, but they're quite hard to spot because they are just like a white dot in relation to the background of stars. So if you've got a good eye and you can notice that they've moved or you draw it, you know you found one. But I will put up a picture with your notes, Mark, that will show where they all are and where they're moving and stuff. And I think one of the best magazines I saw for it was the old uh, Sky at Night. It had a good little section in there that showed you where they all were. So pick up a copy. I don't get any proceeds from it, but <laughs> it is a good magazine to get. So yeah, the 11th, you've got Minor Planet 8 Flora. Uh, it reaches opposition, which means it just brightens ever so slightly so it's easier to see. And it's in uh, Libra. This is what then starts the flurry of asteroids and minor planet spotting. Because after that, they follow suit within the asteroid belt. The asteroid belt's between Mars and Jupiter, so all these objects are kind of in there floating around in this asteroid belt. And Flora itself is uh, its meant to be the innermost large asteroid. The largest. <laughs> that makes sense. Have they reached Bennu, the, the asteroid? They've reached it, haven't they? Yeah, they, they reached it a while back, but they've been circling around it for, yeah. for a while, taking photographs and getting data from it and all kinds of stuff. I'm not too sure when they're supposed to be attempting... Yeah, because they had trouble, didn't they? Because like, it's, it's saying here that uh, Sarah is kind of made of like rock and ice and when they got to Bennu it looks kind of diamond shaped doesn't it in the picture yeah it does and I was always interested in the project of going there they're going to get a bit a piece aren't they yeah that's the, the first time they've attempted to uh, to do that so yeah it should be quite interesting I mean obviously we had Rosetta where they went to a, a comet but this is this is different yeah, so they're saying it's a carbonaceous asteroid, but when they've when they've arrived and taken pictures, they've actually realised that it's a lot rockier than they expected. Mm -hmm. So they're thinking that actually landing is going to be harder than they expected. There's quite a lot of boulders and stuff on the surface and things like that, and they're kind of looking at it going, hmm. Trying to find the safest place to actually plant it. Yeah, which is quite cool, because it seems to be everything we go and visit is always different, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like, like the ultimate Thule, wasn't it? Of Thule. Tule, Tule. Ultimate Tule. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a game of wits. Ultimate Tule. That's completely different to the others, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's completely different to the, when they first got the photograph of it up close and they thought it was like two balls stuck together. And then they realised that it's actually flat, two discs together. You can kind of see how two balls might get, you know, slowly clumped together and pushed together, but two discs sticking together yeah and, it's a little and, bit weird isn't it and the thing is it's twisting in a weird way so when when that photograph was taken it was taken when it was flat side up so it looked like that they were two balls the strange thing about this now is i've, I've kind of probably just fueled these flat earthers um <laughs> by <laughs> saying this it. don't say it but no it's nothing like that at all so the Earth isn't flat, but Ultima Thule is. Well, I wouldn't say flat. <laughs> you know those those kind of those really nice pebbles you can get for skimming. Yeah, that kind of shape. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not flat; it's pebbled. Yeah, it's pebble shaped. It's pebble shaped. <laughs> Yeah, so I thought that was quite cool. I thought it'd be good to throw it in there, the fact that, you know, they've actually reached it. There's pictures of it now. You can see it there. So we're finding out all about this asteroid belt that's around us. They've got a whole list of potentially hazardous objects that's listed as the Sentry Risk Table. I think Benno is actually one that uh, actually has a rating that it might actually hit us. Well... <laughs> It works at a 1 in 2,700 chance of impacting Earth between 2175 and 2199. It's, it's really weird what they class as near-Earth objects uh, that are aren't, aren't really. not really anywhere near Earth. 
Yeah, I like reading up on this stuff. So I've read that it's like it's a highly automated impact prediction system that they use within JPL Center. Yep. Uh, for near-Earth objects. They've been doing it since 2002, and it continually monitors the most current asteroid catalogue for possibilities for future impacts. It's also linked to the National Space Center in Leicester. Ah. Yeah. So it kind of knows over the next 100 years or plus, but it then kind of says when they find one, it's actually really difficult to actually predict the orbits of all these things as they're going all over the place and moving around. And it's like with several weeks of optical data and not enough to really conclusively identify that it's going to hit us. So they need to look at it over years and years and years. And hopefully, you know, things do hit us, don't they? We've seen it. I mean, now with, with all the cameras everywhere that we've got we're actually picking up footage of more and more that are actually in the atmosphere and blowing up of things so. i mean nothing as big as the i think it's in arizona um that massive great big crater oh yes that huge crater yeah and nothing as big as that but that's one of the craters that probably finished off the dinosaurs so yeah i need to go and see that i've got it funnily enough on one of my apps on my phone that shows you the sky it lets you have that crater as like the background mm-hmm. that's the ground so i've got that as my ground for when I look around and that it's cool nice I've got, I've got to go and see it because I think about it, that's an actual you know we look up at the moon and we see all the craters there there's one you can actually walk around yeah and it's massive it's huge mm. so yeah if you want to go and see it I'm not sure where do you know where it is I, as I say I think it's in Arizona to look it up uh, I'll put something on the show notes about it so people can have a, a little look at it have a little peek yeah that's cool yeah, so the asteroid belt that's up there, hopefully none of it's going to hit and make craters soon. <laughs> they reckoned it was going to be another planet at one point, didn't they? They thought it was all going to kind of coalesce and clump together to form another planet. But yeah. they're saying either an upheaval in the early solar system or possibly Jupiter's gravity between the sun and stuff. It couldn't. It kind of got torn apart, so it didn't really clump together. So we have a big asteroid belt instead of another planet, which is a shame in a way, because, but, you know, we've got all these little minor dwarf planets that we can learn. I mean, the reason we're going to Bennu is because they think it might be like part of the core, wasn't it, of the planet? Yeah, they do think it might have been um, related to some kind of planet core. Yeah, so we can learn from that about our own one, hopefully, and, you know, learn more about Earth and look after it better. It is true, because we can find out how this planet came to be by looking at other planets. and Yeah, and a lot, a lot of the weather systems as well. Although mm. they seem to be a lot more extreme out there, they do kind of still have the same as Earth ones. Earth just has more mild storms yeah. and things. They, they do learn from other planets about our own Earth as well that way. I mean, you look at planets, or not planets, moons like Europa, which um, has, has water. It's not made the same way as our water it's it's actually a, a, a massive great big sea of liquid methane but um it's still liquid and how we base life everything is based around water so we are expecting life to be on europa hopefully we go there and have a look yeah it's pretty cool because there's loads of stuff we learn loads and loads and not only about our atmosphere and things we actually learn about other chemicals because we didn't know that certain elements and chemicals can exist in different states yeah in like extreme temperatures extreme pressure extreme cold all that sort of stuff there's all sorts of different types out there aren't there that's it we're actually learning more about our own planet and how elements can be and react and what they do so yeah we've got to keep on exploring Mm -hmm. so right we better get back to the night skies went off on a tangent there (laughs) science talk back to the 11th we're going chance to grab your binoculars and your smartphones and your telescopes and it's that time the lunar x and v once more on our moon always cool to look at a good effect where the glance of sunlight is just kind of 
going across the top of some craters and I talk about it probably every month because it's cool to see. Why not get the kids yeah. out there and have a look, see if you can spot the little X and the V that's in the shadow. It's really good. On the 14th, you then have the Minor Planet 11 Parthenope we'll go for. I think that's right because you said there was, it's a Greek word. Yeah, from the, got the, the Parthenon. So, yeah, it gets into opposition as well on the 14th. Uh, it's again, it's in, it's in Libra. Discovered in 1850, it was named after a siren in Greek mythology that founded Naples, apparently. So a siren, it's meant to be a, a beautiful lady of the sea who used to lure sailors to uh, their doom, pretty much. A bit like a mermaid, but without the fish's tail. Yeah, did they have wings? They had wings, didn't they? No, they just uh, just were beautiful women that sat on the rocks and... Uh, God, they used to sing, didn't they, and call in the... Call in the sailors, and the sailors used to crash into the rocks, yeah. And then they turned out to be horrible creatures that actually ate them. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So, for yeah. some reason, they founded Naples. I don't know the story behind that, but still quite cool <laughs> so it's named after a siren after that it's followed by the minor planet 20 massilia on the 20th that then becomes opposition so you've got the 14th that one the 20th this and they're all kind of in the same region so you've got three or four different ones you can spot and you might see them moving massilia is just kind of like a stony asteroid that's floating around in the belt i couldn't really find any information on it apart from that really next but not last is uh, the dwarf planet one series on the 28th but this time this one is actually in the constellation Arthurucus, but it looks like Opeucus, doesn't it? The way yeah. it's pronounced. It's a constellation, by the way, and it's just to the left of Libra where we were talking. This is the thing where neither of us have actually learned either Latin or Greek, so it no. does uh, pose a problem. Yeah, so we're just having fun, aren't we? Which is what astronomy is all about. Yeah. Having fun, learning all about it. So I actually wrote down how it's spelt, and then I've written down Arthurucus. As how it's said. So I'm going for it's Arthurucus. So yes, we have the minor planet Ceres moving towards Scorpius mid-June. It starts going up that way. It should be visible through binoculars about 10 by 50. So you can see this dwarf planet with binoculars just up there. And all around this area, from what I can see this month, there's about there's seven. Seven or eight minor planets, dwarf planets, all in this sort of area that you can spot this month. It's all around Libra, Scorpius, and Arthurucus. So if you look over a few nights, you might see any of these white dots actually move in relation to the stars or where they were. So there's going to be quite a few different movements going around there. So it's almost going to look like loads of ants or something moving about. So that'd be quite cool. On the 16th, you got another chance to spot the Moon Maiden, which used to be a new thing for us, didn't it? I only, <laughs> only got a picture a couple of months ago, if that. That's it, yeah. And now she's become, you know, mainstream. <laughs> she's now famous. So yeah, it's best for a reflector telescope, so one with a mirror, only because it needs to be flipped upside down, really, to get the effect of the lady. For our human eyes, we like everything to be upright so we can see what's going on upside down. So it's the same sort of thing, really. There's a mountainous region that creates an effect of a lady with flowing hair sitting on a rock, sort of almost like a rock wall. I think it looks like she's sitting on a rock gazing out to the sea or something. And as I said, it does need to be seen upside down for the best effect, but you can see it normally with some binoculars. Now have a look, see if you can see it. It'd be quite small, but you will. It's part of the Promatorium Heraclides. So if you find the crater Plato, which is quite easy to find, you can get apps that will show you there as well. There's one called Moon Globe HD for your phone. It's quite good. It shows you all the stuff. Follow the crater Plato to the left-hand side. You've got the Jura Mountains, which are quite cool. And it's the southern tip of the Sinus Iridium. But we're at pics to the notes because I've actually got my own picture now. So that will be on there and show you exactly where to see it. It's not a problem. But that's quite cool to see on the 16th. Ladies and gentlemen, this is TGP Nominal.
on the 18th we're going back to Mars because it's slowly moving through and up close to a nice open cluster called M35 and it really is a nice open cluster just above sort of Castor's leg in Gemini so if you look for the Gemini constellation it's like two stick men the one on the right is called Castor it's Castor and Pollux it's the two stars that are their heads and it's actually named after them so it's the two brothers Castor's leg you go down and there's one that's kind of sticking out a little bit like he's bowling I always say the little leg that's sticking out if you look just around there with a pair of binoculars, I mean, you'll see Mars is near there anyway. It's actually two clusters there. So for your hard work of spotting it, you get M35, a nice open cluster of looks like nice new blue stars. And then there's something that's a NGC 2158, if you want to look it up. And that's a tighter cluster, just to the sort of bottom right of it. So you get a big open one, a nice tighter sort of one. That seems to be more sort of older stars bollocks. It almost looks like a globular cluster, but it's not. It's still an open cluster. They look like they're quite close, but it's actually 9,000 light years further away than the M35 itself. So you've got Mars really close, then the M35, and then you've got this other one. So you get three all together there. So it's really good for astrophotographers if they want to get a picture there, and really good for people with binoculars because you get three objects in one sort of view. So go out and have a look on the 18th. And then you've got the 19th, the 20th and the 21st, on the first date, our moon will be just to the right of the planet Jupiter in the morning. Then it will move past the king, the solar system, to its left and then rising up behind Jupiter on those dates. So the 19th, the 20th and the 21st, you'll see the moon move past Jupiter and change across those dates. I believe Jupiter's getting up earlier and earlier, so I think just sort of after midnight now. So you don't have to uh, get up really early in the morning you can kind of carry on through the night and see Jupiter and the moon there. Then if we go to the next dates, the 21st, the 22nd and the 23rd, the moon will carry on. And on those dates, the same happens with the planet Saturn. So you'll see the moon and Saturn and the moon will pass through Saturn and be on the other side of it. And Saturn never ceases to amaze people. So if you peek over a telescope, the rings are absolutely stunning. It's probably one of the top five amazing things to see for astronomy. It's just, it never gets old. And if you watch it for around about 16 days, so about half the month, you'll see that it's Moon Titan, which I believe is probably the biggest moon, isn't it? That's why it's called Titan. Yeah. Biggest moon in the solar system. It actually it orbits around the planet in 16 days. It's actually slightly less than that. It's like 15 point something, but I'm just going to say 16 because it's easier. So yeah, you can actually see it there. And it is aptly named because it is huge. It's a massive moon. It's got its own atmosphere and all sorts going on there. And they've actually landed there as well, didn't they? I think they just um, orbited it uh, at, at close range, I think. I'm not yeah, cause they, sure. Yeah, because they saw like islands, didn't they? And then the islands would disappear and things like that. Yeah. I believe reading that. Yeah, so they've actually, you know, we've been there and had a look at it. And it's got its own atmosphere. Not many moons have their own atmosphere. I think some might have thin ones because we know some have got geysers and stuff that might make a little one. But yeah, you'll see the biggest moon flying around Saturn. On the 25th, we're going to Mercury, and it will gradually be getting higher and higher and higher as the month goes on. You've got more chance of spotting it then, because it is a tricky little planet to find. It's quite close to the sun, so always be careful when you're looking at it. With a scope, there's a very slight change in its phase from like a perfect circle to a slightly lesser one as the shadow sort of creeps across as it goes up around the sun. It used to be a morning object, and now it's just after sunset you can see it. And then last but not least, on the 28th, if you're up in time for Jupiter rising, and you have a nice clear horizon as it rises, grab your telescope and you'll see that its moon Ganymede will cast a shadow onto the planet. So as it's rising up, get your scope and have a look at it. It might be a bit fuzzy and hazy because you're looking for a lot of atmosphere, but you should just be able to spot the little shadow of the moon onto the planet Jupiter. And that is everything that I've got for you this month. 
Next month, hopefully, uh, we will be adding a new section into TGP Nominal Extra's Guide to the Skies. Obviously, Ross will be here. We're actually going to have a guest on the show who will be giving us their object of the month, which is something we used to do on the show, but not so much recently. But I thought we'd bring it back. And the guest who's coming on is Dr. Maggie Liu. Now, she is an astrophysicist from the European Space Agency, and she's agreed to actually give us a little object of the month section that some of them you might not be able to see with a normal telescope. Some of them you will. Some of them you might be able to see with the naked eye or just a a pair of binoculars. But her forte in her field of expertise is actually dark matter and black holes but she is really really passionate about everything that is up there so i'm looking forward to bringing her in on the show and um we'll be able to listen to what she has to say and we can have a little chat about it as well i think it'd be awesome you'll actually have a proper professional (laughs) (laughs) rather than me it'd be excellent and yeah i'm really i think i'm going to learn quite a lot from her it'd be really good and we haven't, we haven't talked about the black hole, have we? No, we haven't. They'd actually taken a picture of a black hole. First that, time ever. Yeah, yeah. And actually, and, Maggie has made a, a video about that, which I'm going to put in the show notes. And uh, if you look very carefully at the video, you will see on her Space Onesie, the TGP nominal logo. Honorary <laughs> member. And now she's actually going to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. Doing actual talks. But Don't forget about the little people. <laughs> that's that's it i mean the thing is with maggie you wouldn't think that she's involved with a big organization like asa because she's so down to earth and i think that's brilliant because being down to earth about things you can put your message across to everybody yeah like it's quite hard people call me an expert and i'm like no nah, really come on but like when you talk about stuff they you see like my wife especially bless her frankie she sits there and she kind of goes no nah, you've gone over my head i don't know what you're talking about now and i'm like <laughs> and that's just the bog standard stuff that you know an average joe kind of knows and talks about so let alone being you know an astrophysicist and knowing all this stuff to be able to then turn that information into something for the general public to understand and relate to that's got to be one of the hardest things so if she's a natural at that then awesome because she can teach people so much about what's going on up there i mean like like this black hole people looked at the first picture of it and were like what's that what is that it (laughs) then you have to explain what it is and how it is and then if you did you see the pictures where they zoomed out more yeah you could see all that stuff all around it then i was like that looks like a black hole that's cool and like people don't really understand it and if you kind of you you're able to explain it to them Mm -hmm. in that certain way and that's what i love about it so yeah i'm really looking forward to listening to her she'd be brilliant and, and also it's very difficult to actually express what that is what that's actually showing because it's not the clearest of pictures as of yet but the, the thing is to get that best picture we need to be on the event horizon and that's like the point of no return you know when you go on a roller coaster and you go up and up and up and you get to that point and you think yeah this thing's not going to stop now i've got to go (laughs) with it that is pretty much what the event horizon is you get to the edge of the black hole and from that point you're going in yeah you're at the top (laughs) of the big dipper with no brakes that's it you're gone and then nothing really nothing comes from it so you can't get anything back from it no so it's almost impossible to do 
you know and the thing is as I, someone pointed out if you look at Pluto the first picture we got of Pluto was awful yeah it was just a load of pixels wasn't <laughs> it's it it's just a load of pixels you can't tell anything from it it was exactly the same really as you've got with this black hole yeah. you just look at it as a picture but then look at it now yeah so eventually the black hole is going we will get better at what we do, what they do I should say not what we do and you know, it's, you know, something, some technology may come along where you can do that. You yeah. don't know at the moment; it's impossible. But so were a lot of things, you know, 50 years ago. Landing on the moon was impossible. Yeah. And we'll be celebrating that, won't we, soon? In July, we'll be involved in that. Well, not directly, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> Teaching others—that's what it's all about. Yeah. But no, no, I really look forward to it, mate. I think it'll be really cool to listen to, her, and I'm going to learn a lot. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, Spanhead Productions. .weebly.com That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com So Ross, thanks again for coming on the show. You're always welcome. Thank you for having me again. And um, yeah, we'll look forward to what's going to be happening in the future because you know, as I say, the podcast is evolving. TGP Nominal has evolved since its first conception and, and then adding TGP Nominal Extra into it and involving UK Astronomy into the whole thing. And uh, it's great because it's getting the message out there to people and uh, that's all I ever wanted. Yeah, and it's only going to get better. Once again, everyone, thanks for listening. Take care one and all and we will speak to you all again real soon. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. This is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.